0: This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, we're so thankful that we can come and we can learn at a place like this in in freedom. And we truly believe that uh, time is short And we do ask your presence to be with us. We don't know how to go out or come in without your leadership and your guidance. So please bless us in this time. In Christ's name, Amen. Total commitment, uh, the cost of true success. I want to talk, following up on Leela's talk. and if you missed that talk, make sure and listen to it on Audioverse later. And uh, just to give you a couple uh, pointers of what we're attempting to do, uh, first of all, the overview that uh, Dr. Lewis gave in the last hour, now looking a little more closely at true commitment, the next thing we have is a question and answer period, I believe. Uh, we have this afternoon, actually, a testimony of Dr. Lewis, the other Dr. Lewis, and then we have a question and answer period um, on Sabbath morning, uh, or is it Friday morning? Tomorrow morning, question and answer period. So if you have like questions, we kind of feed on questions. So write those questions out, have them ready for us, and then we'll, we'll do that tomorrow. And then we'll finish up by looking at how medical missionary work actually protects God's people in, in our last session together. This session, though, Total Commitment, The Cost of True Success. You know, Jesus, uh, when he came, of course, he was just one person, totally committed, amen, was Jesus committed. And uh, he drew 12 other ordinary people, like the first hour, he talked about ordinary people that came, that is his disciples, then 70 people, then 5,000 people were baptized, then it went back down to 12 people, and then they said, you know, uh, we're to desert you when Christ was on the cross, he was deserted on the cross. Um, and it looked like everything had failed. (laughs) It looked like everything Christ had done in his uh, extreme makeover himself and leading others was just a failure. But uh, he rose again. Can you say hallelujah? (laughs) As he rose again, then eventually the 12 were recommitted, then the 120 in the upper room, and then thousands began to join and multitudes were reached. And... uh, They went from city to city. If you study the New Testament, most of the major events um, when Paul went, especially, he would go to major cities. Acts 19 says that he uh, started the school of Tyrannus. And he reached everybody from that evangelism school. And uh, he did teaching, preaching, and healing just as Christ had done in reaching everybody as well when he was there. And uh, Acts 17.6, they turned the world upside down. They went from one city to the next, and they turned the world upside down. And I believe that's what God wants to do today. Do you believe that's true? And certainly, over the last uh, you know couple of years, it's been amazing to see how God has turned the world upside down. I mean, you go to a city like San Francisco, and you think you're going to get a hearing, uh, if you're anybody, much less uh, a Christian group, and yet... Uh, God did amazing things there, um, and nobody really even thought that God was going to do amazing things. Um, well, maybe not nobody, but I mean God thought that probably, but a lot of other people were just like that 's not going to happen there's nothing going to go on there you 're just going to make a mess. but God did amazing things in San Francisco. I still remember in San Francisco walking in the street and they were you don't know what this street is you're on, the armory there. And they said, this is a terrible street. I mean, people get in fights. They get in fights about any kind of free giveaway. And here you're giving free medical care. These people are going to just kill each other, and they might kill you. And uh, so this one man said to he says, why are you here? Don't you understand? This is San Francisco. This is a terrible place. And, and, and he came up, and I don't know why he singled me out. I mean, he... I wasn't responsible, but he kind of singles me out. And then I, I just said to him, I said, look, you know, God has laid it on us. He goes, God, 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 and then he started cussing. And I said, well, <laughs> didn't mean to start that little rap line that you went through here, but he was just, you know. And about three days later, he came back up to me, two days later actually in that situation. He came up to me and goes, I want to I wanna talk to you. I said, here it goes. <laughs> And he said, "You know what? This is one tell- of I have never seen anything like this in my whole life. in this city, especially. This place was a place of darkness, and now God has used you folks to turn it into a place of light." Whoa. And this was a you know, pretty hardcore individual, <laughs> at least at first there. And so it was uh, great to be there. We had a little team. We kind of had a bird's-eye view of the whole thing because we're in the lifestyle section right before people leave, uh, lifestyle and chaplaincy. And so you kind of are able to see what they really think about the event. And there was such gratitude. I've never really experienced anything like that, except for when we went to San Antonio and then we went to Spokane. Spokane was actually probably the best in terms of responses at uh, my section. And the reason is because we had so many volunteers Um, Now, a volunteer doesn't have to be able to do anything except love people, right? We don't want unloving volunteers like, oh, great, you're another person. You know, we don't want that. But if if you just can smile or, you know, yeah, just smile and walk, basically, and breathe, God can use you. Because as people went through, uh, you know, they were talking with them as kind of the volunteer partners that went with them. And they got to witness the extreme makeovers happening in just a, you know several hours. And it transformed not only the lives of the people coming through, but the people that were volunteering. By the way, I'm not supposed to say this, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, George Barna did a study, and he said, the best way to reach your non-Adventist friends is take them on a mission trip with you. And I saw some physicians who brought their, their staff with them, and those people made decisions to uh, commit to Christ and join his church during that clinic time this it 's amazing uh, the opportunities you know we think I have to go around the world to be a missionary now. pretty much just have to go across the street. but if you work together as a collective team, it is amazing to see what can happen. Alamo Dome man, this is an exciting picture right here. This is a bunch of pastors now i' going to tell you something i 'm a pastor right and um and I'm kind of, I'm also a nurse, so I'm, I'm a purse, a pastor and a nurse. So, uh, but uh, usually pastors are a little bit uh, generally, and I'm not trying to stereotype every pastor, there's many that are not like this, but many times they don't, they're kind of unaware of the medical aspect of things and whatnot, and so they're a little nervous. And they were kind of nervous in this situation in the Alamo Dome, and uh they were begrudging the fact that they had to be even involved until they got there. And once they got there and began to see what was happening, and they're the last people, you know, before people leave, people so filled with gratitude. Yes, pray with me. Can I have, can I have some more of those books? They gave away more literature um, than uh, you normally would be able to get out even canvassing in this particular environment. But anyway, they got so excited, and this is a picture with uh, all the pastors in And my team, and they were just excited. One pastor said to me, He goes, Why in the world have we not been doing this for 20 years? This is the most exciting thing I've ever been involved in. You know, and I said, You mean it's not your preaching? He's like, No. You know, (laughs) and he goes, This is much anyway, so what a blessing, amen. Now, we're supposed to do this in our schools and whatnot, and I run a little school, New Start. Uh, global, the health program. But notice this quote. As religious teachers, we are under obligation to teach our students how to engage in medical missionary work. So our, our schools, our churches, we're supposed to be teaching people how to do this. And by the way, you know the best way to teach somebody? Just do it. Because, look, here's what I've learned. I really don't know how to do anything, basically. But if I start doing it, I learn. Can you say amen? And if you step out, I mean, you can, you can ask Dr. Lewis and the others. Um, I'm not saying they didn't know how to do anything, but <laughs> we didn't know how to do much of anything, you know. Here's the thing. If you want a principle, just start doing something. I mean, I know there's planning. We got a manual. If you come to all the sessions, you're going to get a manual. Um, and so, I mean, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. But I'm just saying, if you want to get... If I could give you thousands of examples in my own life where I just started doing... By the way, I would not be married to my wife unless I started thinking she was going to be my wife. Can you say amen? took a while for her to agree with that, but it uh, did happen. Um, and, And I'm always looking for people that have shown some kind of commitment. Look at this statement from Loma Linda Messages. Seek for students who will plow deep into the Word of God who will conform the life practice to the truths of the word, that's commitment, and let the education given be such as, as well-qualified, consecrated, consecrated young men and young women to go forth in harmony with the Great Commission. So I'm always looking for these kind of people that they're just trying to follow God's word. They're committed. They want to plow deep in and They want to fulfill the gospel commission. Those are the kind of people that God can use. And uh, I believe there's a lot of them here today and, or listening. The education of, of students in medical missionary lines is not complete unless they are trained to work in connection with the church and the ministry. How many of you think that's an interesting statement? So, Councils on Health, 557. So, I live on a little campus. They never had a church on the campus. They started the school back in 1978, and they never had a church. And I was like, well, how in the world are we supposed to train people if we're not we don't have a church? And so I talked to the president, Dr. Nedley, and the others in the conference, and guess what? We now have a church, and God is helping train people right there in a small town. I mean, I want you to get this picture. It's not always about San Antonio size events; it can be in little towns. Uh, how many of you attend a church we have less than seventy five members? Look, so look at that. How many of you live in a city that has less than 50,000 people in it? Look, God wants to reach those. The population of Weimar is, you look at the sign, it says population 50. Well, you know, that's pretty small. How many say, hey man, that's small. I guess they didn't count the people on the institute because we have about 60 staff, but, you know, they missed that in the census. So this is our our little campus there, and I, and now our church is right here. We uh, we meet there, and um, and we teach people how to how to work with you. We have a we have a family practice clinic, and I think they have about 2,000 patients now. We have a new start clinic, and we have which is people are there for nineteen days. We have a um, depression recovery program. People are there for ten days, and. Our students learn how to work with those folks as they're there. Now, this is what I really liked about Leila's testimony that we just heard. She was driving down the road, a pregnant mother hadn't finished medical school, and said, look, I need to do a huge booth and outreach during a fair. Now, how many you think that just sounds odd? It's not odd. It's what's supposed to be done, actually. Look at this. Life is too generally regarded as made up of distinct periods, the period of learning and the period of doing, of preparation and achievement. And that's just simply not the way it's so supposed to be done. As you go to school, as you live, as you're a student, as you're a young person, you're supposed to be doing evangelism all during that time. You know what the problem is? People will end up going to school Maybe, you know, academy or high school and then college and then graduate school. And all that time is saying, when I get out, when I get out. And guess what? When they get out, they have no interest in doing anything for God because they never did anything for God during that time period. Look, I'm a big believer in uh, active outreach as you go. And by the way, I'll add another caveat here. Traveling from place to place in a bus, or going to seminars like this, is not outreach. Hello, are you with me? I mean, I've met people that have six hundred seminar, uh, you know, <laughs> binders. They've never done anything. They're professional seminar attendees. These are not helpful people to the kingdom of God in a sense. How many of you are with me? And and by the way, if you just so I don't want I got to get into my talk, but you. <laughs> If you, if you do that, you kind of have a, you never develop a relationship with someone and lead them to the master. That's why in these big clinics that we have and whatnot, we're always trying to say, how is it that we follow up? How is it that we get people into relationship with people? And when you go back to your local churches and wherever you are, your school or whatnot, I want you to think about, what am I doing to come into relationship with somebody who doesn't know the Lord and lead them to the Lord? And that doesn't take... That's not just a one-day type situation. Even the people at the Pathways events that came, and they said, look, I want to join your church, and they, they don't know what they're talking about. So you need to study with them and ground them. Any Bible will tell you that. And sometimes that takes, a you know, four or five months. Sometimes it takes five years. You don't know. But how is it that you're going to get into relationship with people? You know, Jesus' example of commitment to a group of people was amazing. He had huge clinics. There was no building large enough in Palestine to hold all the people that would come to his clinics. By the way, he didn't call them clinics, but they were miraculous healing events. Um, we're not the same as Jesus in the sense of miraculous healing events. Um, that's why he says, you know, Ellen White says, sanitariums uh, in the last days were raised up. Um, But anyway, um, and during that time of commitment and those big events that he had, he was also committed to a group of 12 people. He took them with him everywhere he went. And he grounded them and he rooted them. And keep in mind that he only worked in a a 40 by 70 um, area. And many times people would follow him around. By the way, the average amount of time that Jesus walked every day was about 20 to 25 miles a day. Can you say amen? So he was in shape. So in our little hamlet there of Weimar, when we started our church, we started a a project called Operation Blueberry because uh, of this vision of Ellen White. Be diligent to pick the berries nearest you and then search for those further away. So we drew up a little survey. We said, look, we've served people from around the world, but... We forgot the people across the street. What can we do to help you? And we gave them a little survey. And then we took a two-mile radius. And there's about 500 uh, families or homes in that area. Way out in the middle of the woods, you never find them unless you got lost. And, uh, and we went there and we surveyed their needs. And then we began to meet those needs. We cleaned up their yards through Christian help work. Then a bunch of them said, we really have dental issues and so we had a dental clinic and we turned our school into a dental clinic where we uh, you know we're holding our classes now we were extracting teeth (laughs) you know one student said to me and I thought final exams were painful (laughs) but it was great to turn our school into a clinic and it was amazing what happened in the community people in the community started to say, man, this is, the, this is where, this place, they never had us really on the campus before, but now we understand what we, you do. And so we began, We started a church, and we said, this is your church. This is the Weimar Church, it's not our church, it's yours. I went into the liquor, score, liquor store last week, actually. <laughs> I don't often do this as a pastor, but I took another pastor with me, so we'd go down together we could testify that we weren't drinking liquor. But I went into the liquor store, and I said to the lady, I said, hi, I'm the pastor of your church. Just wanted to come by and say hello. She looked at me startled. And she goes, the pastor of my church? I said, yes, the Weimar Church. She goes, I didn't even know we had a church. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. We haven't got out to visit with you and let you know, but I'm just letting you know. And began to talk to her, and she goes, wow, you know, I haven't been to church in 15 years, but this is amazing that you have a church. And I go, now, you know, your business is uh, its intriguing to me. This is right next to the Weimar Post Office, if anyone's been there. It's not a very big place. It's the liquor store right there. She goes, I said, and I'm—and any business I go into, I'm trying to put. think of a text I could put up on the wall in the business. You know, what text do you think we could put up from the scriptures in your business here? She's going, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And then... And I said, well, I, I think of one. And, and I read it to her, be drunk with the spirit. you know. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, that's a good text. Is that in the Bible? I said, yeah, I showed it to her. She goes, yes, that's a great text. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I said, look at all the names of your alcoholic beverage. Southern Comfort. I mean, God does want to comfort people in the south. He wants to comfort people in the north. He wants, to, he wants to even comfort Jack Daniels, whoever this guy is. And she's like, you are the oddest minister I've ever met." And I said, and you're kind of odd, too, because you're, you're wanting to put a scripture up here. I mean, I don't know how that works, but I know God's on the move here. And she goes, you know, so she's going to come to church. How many of you think we've got to work with people where they are? And, and as we do these events, and then she says to me, she goes, are you the one that, that, that helped organize this thing for the dental care So I said, that's me. And she goes, that's my kind of church. And I said, well, tell me, tell me why it is that you didn't, uh, you know, you're not going to the church, you know, any church at this point. Why are you not getting drunk in the spirit anymore? And she says... Uh, she, and she told me a story about what had happened in this church and how she had been uh, mistreated in a church. And uh, you never know where people are. God loves people in liquor stores. Amen? Everywhere. So the vision that Ellen White had, and what I want to put before you as ambassadors, and I hope that you really take that on, Here's the vision. Medical missionary work should be a part of the work of every church in our land. And there's like 6,000 Adventist churches in the North American division. Every one of them should be a medical missionary center. Because as you you do that, it opens up so many other doors. In every city where we have a church, there's a a place where treatments can be given. By the way, I I happen to think my sermons are treatments. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Every church should be a training school for Christian workers. Its members should be taught how to give Bible readings, how to conduct and teach classes, how best to serve the poor, care for the sick, and how to work for the unconverted. Every single church. Now look at this one. The end is near, and every city is to be turned upside down. How many think that sounds good? It's not just the big cities. It's what city? It's every single city is to be turned upside down. How many of you want to up? Turn upside down the city where you live. And it doesn't matter. My city is 50 people. I worked in San Francisco. I worked with all these other clinics. But you know what? Just give me 12 people in my town. I'm going to turn it upside down. Amen? Now, this vision cannot be accomplished, however, without commitment. And I might say it takes more commitment to work with people long term than even short term. It takes more commitment because, look, we drew a two and a half mile radius around our campus and we said, we want to reach these people. And you don't do scorched earth type things when you do that. You don't go up and say, you know, it's my way or the highway or, you know, um, you got to be sensitive to where they are. Can you say amen? It takes commitment. Now, I want to talk about five things for commitment today. What leads to commitment? How does total commitment look or what does it look like? Uh, What is the cost of total commitment? what flows from such commitment, and what is the ultimate consequence of true commitment. Um, so let's look at this. And by the way, in this Pathway to Health operations manual, the very first chapter and the second chapter sort of are talking about this concept of true commitment. And there, some of the quotes I'm using today are in there, and there are others that are, that are not in my presentation today that you will want to get as you get your operations manual. Okay. What leads to total commitment? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 is my key text on this. What's it say? For the love of Christ does what? Constrains us. That word constrains in the original means to press together. And it means Christ's love just draws us to him. How many of you have met someone in life that they're so loving and so kind you just want to be with them, you want to be around them? Uh, I remember living with my grandfather um, from the time he was 86 until he was 89. And uh, this man had no personal ambition left except for to see me and my brother and my family succeed. Every day he got up, he would cook breakfast for us. 86 years old, every day, he would sing songs to us. Every day. And the love that was demonstrated through him constrained me. I wouldn't be here today without that. How many of you know someone like that, that God has worked through them that way? How many of you want to be someone like that? And it comes from Christ himself. We are motivated to commitment in joy-filled response to what God has done for us. We don't do pathway events. We don't do medical mission work to earn God's favor. We do it because of the favor that he has shown us. And as a result of the joy that wells up in our heart, we say, Look, I want to do that for someone else. Amen? Amen. So uh, I can't stress this enough. You're going to get totally burned out unless you're filled up by looking at what God has done for you. And you need to look at it every day. What's He done for you today? You know, in our depression recovery programs, we have a gratitude journal. And every single day, people fill out what God has done for them. And science has shown that when you fill out those gratitude journals, uh, your mental health improves. You come out of depression. The average person uh, thinks between 12,000 and 70,000 thoughts a day. Now, I suppose if you're depressed, it might be 12,000, or it might be even more. But you know what? Most of those thoughts are very negative thoughts. They're not, they're, they're, they're what are called NATS negative automatic thoughts. And so we constantly have to be committed to saying, look, I'm going to look to Christ, I'm going to look to Him so that my thoughts can be positive. How many want to do that? So looking at the constraining love of Christ, that's my first point. Number two, what does that look like then? When we look to Christ, what then happens? Now notice these texts, Luke 10, 27. You can read it with me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. Let me ask you a question. Are you that committed? Is every thought brought into captivity to Christ? Is everything totally committed? See, this is the picture of total commitment. When we ask for total commitment, many times we don't explain what that is. But this is what total commitment is. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Revelation 12, 11 says essentially the same thing. Paul says, I die daily. So, this is the uh, glory of man being laid in the dust, dying to yourself, living to Christ. Um, You know, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives to the death. In other words, they said, Look, I'm dying to a thousand things so I can be alive to Christ. This is a daily thing that has to happen. Um, and a moment by moment thing. How many of you have noticed it's a moment by moment thing? And Constantly saying, "Look, I got to die to this. I got to die to that. I'm crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me." This is the constant thing. If you don't have that, you're not going to be that effective in reaching out with the vision God has for your life. Luke 14:26, Matthew 12:46 to 50. You know basically says, if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't follow me. Now, what does that mean? I looked it up. You know, In the Old Testament, there was a time when a lot of people decided to worship a golden calf, and uh, there was a group of people that didn't, and then they were tasked with the, uh, by God with the horrific task of, of uh, uh, bringing executive judgment against their even fellow journeyers there. And so it was a total commitment that was called for at Mount Sinai. By the way, that's the first time the word forgiveness is also used in the Bible. So where did we find forgiveness first? At Mount Sinai. So don't think it's like, well, that's the Old Testament. They didn't get it. That's where we get forgiveness from. But anyway, the point is, this total commitment has to, has to even reach beyond um, uh, family relationships at times. Um, and we have to be willing to follow God. Now, anybody here that's following God, even though your parents don't want you to do that, anybody listening that has that experience, you know, um, if you don't, that's wonderful, but many people have to take a stand for God to do what's right. And Matthew twelve forty six through 50, you know, Jesus was talking one day, and his mother and brothers came, and they were interrupting his work. And he said, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? <laughs> in other words, I can't talk to you right now. I've, 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 I'm doing a good work. I'm doing what my father wants me to do. I, I'm, I'm doing my father's business. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, who is my mother, my brother, and my sisters? save those who do the will of my Father in heaven? This is commitment, total commitment. How many think that's a little bit costly? Can't be, can't be. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Set your mind, the affections, on things above, not on things on earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's total commitment. Looking to Christ every day. How many can see that total commitment is fairly comprehensive? And I love the quote that Dr. Lewis shared in the first uh, section. She said, most people have a false humility that's tied with adulation and applause of others look i'm going to tell you something if you get involved in a pathway event if you get involved in medical mission work or any evangelism don't think you're guaranteed of applause don't think that you're guaranteed the media is going to come and adulate you look do it anyway are you with me on that you should be doing what's right regardless of oh look at all that Sometimes people are motivated by the wrong thing. What needs to motivate us is what? The love of Christ, right? And the stuff that nobody sees. Early pioneers in Adventist history, Sutherland and McGann started a school called Madison. Turned the world upside down, actually. But behind the scenes, when they were very young people, this is what they said. They were talking in a dorm in 1888 or 1889 right after the 1888 message was given. And they were so gripped by the 1888 message, righteousness by faith, that works. Anyway, they were so gripped that this is what they they said, that they would follow the Bible and spirit of prophecy explicitly in their lives and in their ministry. And you know what the discussion was right after that? One guy said to the other, why is it that you're eating fish? And they had this discussion because the servant of the Lord talked about moving away from flesh foods and whatnot. And they had that discussion. It led them to a total commitment. Look at this picture of uh, their volume of the testimonies. This is actually the third one they went through. They would mark the spirit of prophecy in the Bible. And uh, their grandson showed me this. And every page looked like that. There were no pages that didn't look like that. And that wasn't the first edition. They had done that two or three times. Did you know that Seventh-day Adventists, uh, they did a survey of 41,000 Seventh-day Adventists recently, and they discovered that uh, only 32% uh, Oh wait a minute, 42% read the Bible at least once a day. That's all all that do that. Um, And uh, 32% rarely, and some never, when it comes to the Spirit of Prophecy, almost 20% of Adventists never read it. You wonder why it is we don't have commitment today. We're not looking to the Scriptures. We're not looking to the Spirit of Prophecy. And consequently, we get confused. We wonder what anything is true. I'm going to tell you something. If you read the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy and you just claim it, I've seen it again and again, God honors those promises. But how can you know about those promises if you're not reading them? Amen? So I want to challenge you. Um, another group of young people challenged me one time. I was in speaking in a part of the world, and I was talking about some quotes from the Spirit of Prophecy, and they said, we've never read that. We don't know about that. Where did you get that? And I understood in that particular country, they never had translated the writings of Ellen White. And I said, what? I mean, all of them, they had this little book, little tiny book. I mean, she's written a number of things. They had this little book, and I said, you haven't? And so I challenged them. I said, look, you want to hear more of these things? You think these are precious? Why don't you translate these writings? It's been a couple years since Ellen White died. It was back in 1915. Maybe you should get about that. And guess what? Those young people took that on. Next time I went back to that place, they had translated all the testimonies. And they'd been reading them. And it was leading to a revival in that very secular nation. There's a power in reading these things. And also, what about fasting and prayer? Look at this wonderful text from Joel, which I preached on this last week. Now therefore saith the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your heart, not your garments. In other words, don't do it for outward show. They used to rip their garments to show they were really committed. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Lord is all uppercase. Yahweh means the judge. Um, Your God, the relationship God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Goes on to say that um, he can restore that which you've lost. Now, do you do you pray? I mean, it seems pretty basic, but do you pray every day? Do you cry out to God every day? Do you set uh, time aside for that um, every day? I mean, this seems so basic, but I'm going to tell you, it makes all the difference in the world. Um, it makes you available to God. Notice this uh, Statement from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 250. In order to receive God's help, he must abound to earnest and persevering prayer and effort. Many never attain to the position they might occupy because they they wait for God to do for them that which he has given them power to do for themselves. There's a part of prayer that you have to be involved in. You have to make the time. You have to make the commitment to spend time in prayer. God can't make that commitment for you. He's already made his commitment. The Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. He's praying all the time. And he's working. with you. I'll give you an example of prayer at a Pathway event recently. In Spokane, this man came through, and we usually refer people from the lifestyle section to pray with the chaplain before they leave. But like Leela said in the last hour, lots of people want lots of prayer. And this man came and he said, for some reason he said, I want to pray with you. And I said, well, you know, the chaplain is going to I want to introduce you one of the chaplains and, and maybe we can pray with them because I, I like to have the chaplain or the pastors, those are usually the pastors in that area uh, make a, build a relationship with the individual, right? But he says, no, I want to pray with you. I said, well, I can talk to you about nutrition. He goes, no, I want to pray with you. And I said, okay, let's pray. Um, and, uh, And then this thought struck me. I said, you know, I'm going to ask the guy what kind of prayer he wants. I said, do you want just like a regular prayer, or would you like an extra powerful prayer? And he says, is there a difference? I said, oh, yes, there's a big difference. He goes, well, I'd like the powerful prayer. I said, well, let me explain to you how it works then. This is how it works. The Bible says that if we confess Christ's name before others... He will confess our name before the Father. And the Father will send the angels, which are ministering spirits. And so if you pray out loud and confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the most powerful prayer you can pray. I can pray for you. But if you prayed, this would be the most powerful. He goes, I've never prayed, really. I said, "That, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I don't know how to pray. I said, well... I tell you what, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray because I need this power right now myself, and then you listen, if you want to do that, that's fine, if not, then I'll just pray for you, but if you want the most powerful prayer, that is, I mean, how many think that was, God gave me that idea? (laughs) So, I pray, oh Christ, I confess your name before my brother here, I, I love you, I've given my heart to you. Thank you for everything you've done. I confess your name. I claim the promise that you're going to send the angels and you're going to help in this clinic. You're going to help everyone here. You're going to help me know what to say. Amen. You know, in Jesus' name, amen. I I, I lift up my eyes, and uh, tears are streaming down this man's face. He goes, "I'm going to try it." Big, huge guy. His legs. Um, well. Um, his arm was as big as my leg. I mean, he was big. And, uh, and he prayed. I mean, verbally, it wasn't probably the best prayer you could ever do, but it was heartfelt. You know. And he prayed that prayer. Something just happened in his life. And he said to me, he goes, I've never met so many nice people in, my, in one place in my whole life. I lost my job. My family wouldn't take me in. The government hasn't helped me. All these different things. And I was wondering if I should even live. And then I come here, and in the same place, there's like a thousand nice people in one building. It says, and I said, well, why are you crying? He goes, I'm not crying because of those things. I'm crying because I never met so many nice people in my life. Amen? So, look, how did I know how to pray that prayer with the man? because I had prayed that prayer myself before. You see, private prayer and devotion gets you ready for public ministry. And God's going to direct you about what to say and how to say it. How many think you want to spend that time in prayer? It's going to make all the difference in your ministry. Uh, I was on the plane yesterday flying here, and I sat down next to these. I always wonder what God's going to do. And, you know, on Southwest, if you really want to have the best witnessing try and get the C seats, you know. So you go in and you have to sit between two people. You know, you see what I mean? Anyway, so (laughs) I sat between these two ladies and uh, the one lady, you know, I said, I said, man, I said, this is a great day sitting between two wonderful ladies. I mean, how often does this happen? And they look at me kind of weird, you know. And then I started talking to the lady. We got into it. I started with health evangelism stuff, and pretty soon we're talking, and she's going, well, my brother needs this, and my brother needs that, and the other thing else, and everything else. And then this lady comes by and says, you know, uh, you're supposed to have your bag under the seat and different things. And the lady just kind of freaked out. I mean, my, my, I'm not putting the bag under there. I was like, whoa. You know? And, uh, and then she goes, and the lady says, why? Well, when I got on the plane, you know that man that threw up on everybody? He threw up on my bag. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and then when, when the lady leaves, you know, she goes to me, why did I lose it like that? Why is it that I got so angry? And, you know, I said, well, uh, what do you think? She goes, you know, you were talking about the spiritual aspect of things. That's what I need. I've not been to church for 15 years. That's what I need. Praise God for that. Amen? So this total commitment will prepare you about what to say. Now, what is the cost of total commitment? Number three. Number three. The cost of total commitment. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will what? Suffer persecution. Now look. (laughs) Remember Winston Churchill when he was talking to the nation during World War II, I have nothing to offer you but blood, sweat, and tears. A lot of you are going to die. We're going to fight them on the beaches. We're going to fight them here. We're going to fight them there. But I'm going to tell you, it's hard. Look, ministry is not a picnic. You can ask Dr. Lewis. She just told me yesterday. She goes, I think I've aged. I don't remember how many years she said uh, this last year. Um, And you know what? When you work for God, it is hard work. And sometimes you get persecuted. Many times you do. In fact, if you're doing it right, you're going to get persecuted. You know why? Because God wants to bring more attention to it and to you. There's other reasons he wants to do it. Look at this. God is grieved as he sees the lack of self-denial and perseverance in his saints. Angels are amazed at the spectacle. Let workers for Christ study the life of self-sacrifice. He is our example Can the ministers of today expect to be called on to endure less hardship than did the early Christians, the Waldensians, the Reformers in every age, in their efforts to carry the gospel to every land? You are going to get pushback. It might be in the community, and it might be in your church board. You're going to have some problems. And you know why? Because all who live godly lives are going to suffer persecution. Now, by the way, some people think, oh, that's right, everyone's wrong and I'm Right? Um, Sometimes the reason you're having persecution is because God's trying to change you. Look at this. Many who sincerely, this is Ministry of Healing, page 471, many who sincerely consecrate their lives to God's service are surprised and disappointed to find themselves as never before confronted by obstacles and beset by trials and perplexities. They pray for Christ-likeness of character, for a fitness for the Lord's work, and they're placed in circumstances that seem to call forth all the evil of their nature. Faults are revealed which they didn't even suspect existed. I remember once we were doing a cooking school at my church. And the lady wanted it to be all right. She wanted everything to be right about the cooking school. So much so that she got mad at people if their food tasted bad. She got mad at people... That brought the wrong kind of civil rights. I came into the church one day. I'm the pastor of the church. I come to the church and I hear these pans clanging and people yelling. And I walk in and there's just three ladies throwing plates at each other. And they go, <laughs> I said, stop, because <laughs> there's like all these all these guests outside, you know. It's like World War Six. And they go, Pastor, we don't understand it. We're so fighting with each other. uh, The peanut butter was rancid. This lady, give rancid peanut butter to the cooking school. And I was like, OK, but you're acting a little rancid yourself. And she goes, I know. It's terrible. And they all started crying. And I read them this quote. I said, this is beautiful. The cooking school is not just for the community. It's for you. You're getting all the junk food out of your system. It is because God is leading them that these things come upon them. Trials and obstacles are the Lord's chosen methods of discipline and His appointed conditions for what? Success. But if you want to have a character transformation, if you want to have an extreme makeover, try and put on an extreme makeover event. It will help you develop in your character. Amen? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, in his providence he brings these persons into different positions, various circumstances that they may discover in their character these defects which have been concealed from their knowledge he puts them in the fire of affliction that they might be purified you know what, many times we're never purified because we never do anything for God and we never step out and so constantly we're walking around with all kinds of problems amen Everyone's like looking down. <laughs> uh, but that's 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 why God allows uh, us to be put in that situation. Number four, and remember we have five points, so this is number four. We're moving right along here. What is it that flows from this? Hey, by the way, how many of you have made a decision, maybe I need to be re- <laughs> recommitting to looking to Christ and his constraining love? You know? Reading about him. And then what does that mean? lead to? Total commitment to him. You're going to have some problems as a result. All who live godly lives are going to suffer persecution. But now I want to give the other side of it. There are some benefits. What is it that flows from it? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, in the context of food, drink, clothes, shall be added to you. Can you say amen to that? Look, if you do what's right for God, he's going to take care of I remember once I, I, I moved to California. I've moved there twice in my life, but this was the first time as an adult. And I went there, and, you know, the place I was living cost $2,500, and the utilities were $500, $3,000 a month, and I had like 13 cents left. Well, maybe a little more than that, but I was not making it. And I said to my wife, I said, you know what? God wants us to come to California. It seems like he let us here, but uh, God himself told us not to be in debt. And to get in debt, and we're going to have to trust God. So the next day, I preached a sermon at this church. I don't even remember what I preached. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? And I preached this sermon, and these two people came up to me afterwards. And they said, you know what? You really blessed us today. I said, well, God blessed you. You really blessed us. Can we bless you? And I was a little nervous because this guy had tried to bless me in Phoenix earlier in the month, and it hadn't turned out so well. That's another story, but anyway, so I said, "Yes, I would love to be blessed by God." And they said, "Well, come over to our our uh, come to come to our house in the in, in, uh, outside of town." We went outside town, and there they had their little house. And next to their house was another house on ten acres with a nice stream. And I had prayed to the Lord. I said, "God, the rent that I pay has to be a thousand dollars or less. It's fifteen hundred dollars less." Then I'm paying now, God. but you on the cattle on a thousand hills, and you might need to sell a couple of them. <laughs> that was my prayer. Not exactly like that, but basic. Right? So I'm praying to God. I preach that sermon. The very next day, take me over there. You know what the man says to me? He goes, you know what? You blessed us, and, 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 and we would like you to continue to bless us by living in this house. And I said, I looked around the house. And they said, what color carpet do you want? What color paint do you want? I was like, you're going to redo the house? Yes. Do you want the partitions in any place different? This and that. And I was like, are you joking? I said, how much is this? They said, we want you to live here free. I said, you want me to live what? We want you to live here free. I thought, I thought, I thought they said for a fee. <laughs> no, free. And I was like, I was like, What? God, you did this for me. I pray this prayer, and the very next day this happens. And I told him, I said, look, I'm not going to live here free. I'm going to honor God by paying you $1,000 a month. And I said, all right, fine, if you want to pay that, but we're just putting it back into the church. I was in that church as the head elder, and they said, and you can use it in a fund for evangelism. Can you say amen? Amen. So God paid my rent, and he put an evangelism fund so I could do ministry. How many think we need to be praying more, claiming God's promises, right? So, look, when we step out for him, he's going he's to supply what we need. By the way, later on, they came to me and they said, you know what, your kids need a swimming pool. I was like, they do? Yes, they do. They built a $50,000 swimming pool for my kids. Yeah, you want their phone number? No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> But see, God, God takes care of us. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 through 23. How can you say you love God, but yet hate your, your brother? So, look, what flows from total commitment is love for other people. Not only your supply and your needs, but love for other people. And that's total commitment to Christ will bring total commitment to others in love. And you remember the golden rule, just as you want men to do to you, do also to them. Likewise, be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This golden rule begins to come true in your own life. You say, look, God has blessed me. you think I was more committed to evangelism after God had done that for my family? I was like, praise God, I'm going to go out. and (laughs) I'm not trying to pay him back, because you can't really pay that back. Search heaven and earth, and there is no truth revealed more powerful than and that which is made manifest, and works of mercy to those who need our sympathy and aid. This is the truth as it is in Jesus. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, what will happen? The same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. Can you say amen to that? How many want the same power as apostolic times? And by the way, I think we're seeing mercy drops falling around us in these cities but for the showers we plead. Can you say amen? Now, as we're closing up, I got my last point. You know, I was thinking, I had preached a sermon actually this last week about the locusts in Joel 2, and about how God would restore, you know, at the end of the year. God's going to restore things. If you messed up your life, if you haven't been committed, if you've done all these things that have, have led to a devastation of your life, God can still restore it. Can you say Amen. He can give you an abundance. Even if you haven't committed to this point, he can do that. And I was looking at his story as a commitment, and I came across the story of Larry Brilliant. How many of you have ever heard of this brilliant individual? He's the chief philanthropist for Google. But he's a physician, and he was one of the principal people that helped eradicate smallpox. Smallpox was the worst disease in history. It killed more people than all the wars in history. So he got involved with a team, and... They figured out where smallpox was. They figured out exactly where, they, where it was taking place. And they pretty much then isolated it to India. Uh, it was other places. you know. Then they isolated it to India. And they made over one billion house calls. 150,000 friends of his went door to door with a photo of a smallpox case. And they put together a surveillance system using a Macintosh computer. Can you say amen? One of the early ones. Look at that. Now, when I saw that, I was impressed. I said, look, if they could do that to knock out smallpox, what if God's people, we've got 150,000 people. We've got 18 million people. What if just 150,000 of them got committed? What if we had 3,000, 5,000, 7,000 volunteers in L.A.? How many think God could bless that? Well, these people went door to door. This is uh, Dr. Brilliant when he was younger. Every house in India was searched once a month for two years. How many think that could happen? If if Adventists were totally committed, how many think we could marshal 150,000 folks? More than 150,000 surveillance workers, over a billion house calls, 10% of all houses visited a second time by the assessment team, and a scorecard written for every house. Ellen White says we should know the spiritual condition of every person in our neighborhood. Did you know she says that? So you should have a house, spiritual condition. One to ten. You should know what it is. Oh, that's the Joneses. (laughs) They're at a seven. We're trying to move them to an eight with acts of kindness. Whatever it is. Amen? Now here's smallpox. Debilitating disease. More deaths than anything else. 500 million deaths in the 20th century. More than 2 million deaths per year. In the year that Larry Page and... Sergey Breen were born. That's the founder of Google and uh, um, something else. I can't remember. Um, But because they worked together, guess what? Smallpox was completely eradicated by 1980. Now, how many think that is a metaphor for what maybe God could do through God's people? Look at this quote. There's what happened with smallpox. Look at this quote. In the future of our work, the future of our work is to be forward in self-denial and self-sacrifice even beyond that which we have seen in past years. How many can say amen to that? Look, do you think we should let Larry Brilliant and the others outdo us in terms of their acts of goodness? No. God's people can be even more powerful than the people of the world. Do you think that's true? What if every Adventist church was turned into a training school? What if every person became a medical missionary? By the way, Ellen White says at the end of time that will happen in Testimonies, Volume 7. Every member will become a medical missionary worker. Powerful. God desires us to commit to do what? Our souls to him that he may work through us in manifold ways. Put in your notes Ephesians 3, 8, and 9. The manifold wisdom of God revealed by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. We not only reach the world when we do this, we reach the universe. By the way, ask me a question about it, but you know what? Ellen White says he specifically, God and the angels specifically watch what you're doing on the Sabbath as well. Did you know that? The Sabbath happens to be the most healing day of the week. But it's healing for a different reason. You know why It's healing. Because the preaching of the word is healing. Because praise is healing. Because testimony is healing. And all these things, when they occur on the Sabbath day, have more power than almost anything else. That's why we don't substitute anything else for that on that day. We've seen God do powerful things. Number five, true commitment and its ultimate consequence, our last point. With two minutes left. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You know how many times I've seen this happen in the last 18 months in my little sphere? It's amazing. I mean, no church, but now there's a church. No nursing school, now there's a nursing school. No money to continue on with various projects. God brings the money. I've seen it happen again and again. If you commit your way unto the Lord, he's going to bring it to pass. How many think that's a promise for you? So, look, your commitment is, is fine. But guess what? How many think his commitment is even more awesome? Look at this one. Commit thy works to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Wow. Just think about that. My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways is not yours. But when we couple our thoughts with his thoughts and his ways... He establishes them. It's amazing to see what God does. God has a heaven full of blessings for those who will cooperate with him. All who obey him and do his bidding may with confidence claim the fulfillment of their promises. But we must so affirm, undeviating trust in God. Often he delays to answer us in order to try our faith, test the genuineness of our desire, having asked according to his word we should believe his promise press our petitions with a determination that will not be denied did you notice that what it will not be denied he does not say ask once and you shall receive he bids us ask unwearily persisting in prayer look i got to tell you all these pathway events behind the scenes it's just been persistence in prayer every little seminar I do, I'm always praying for the people in the seminar and then later I tell them about it. I have a prayer journal. I put down people's names, actually their initials just in case it's stolen and, and I put down everything about them and I'm checking things off. I remember one time I did that, persisting in prayer for this individual and then one day they were like, no one cares about me. I was in their house I said, really? Let me show you something. I pulled out my journal and I said, here's your name and I've prayed for you for three years. And here's what I prayed for. Person burst into tears. They accepted the Lord. They came to church that week. They never stopped coming. Prayer makes a difference. Amen? Powerful. So let's review and then one last thing to put in your mind as you leave. What is it that leads to commitment? What does total commitment look like? Have we answered some of these questions? What is the cost of total commitment? What flows from such a commitment? And finally, what is the ultimate consequence of true commitment? And it's God's blessings. Now, last week, you know, I was, I'm was i always, <laughs> always preparing a message to encourage my people in my church. And I was thinking, how can I encourage my people in my church at the end of the year? At the end of the year. And, uh, I found a story about the love of Christ revealed. This man, I think his name was Moore, his wife developed smallpox. I showed you the slide. Smallpox was very debilitating and disfiguring. Though she recovered, she was so disfigured by the disease that she refused to be seen by anybody, including her husband. And here she is at home. She won't come out. Nobody He says, nobody's going to look at me. I look so terrible. And so he wrote a song for her. He wrote a song to assure her of his love, no matter how she looked. And he went outside the door, and he read the poem to his wife. And she opened the door after he read the poem. And she let him come in. And I thought, what a wonderful thing. Do I have that kind of love? How many of you want to have that kind of love? Does it matter what someone looks like? I still love them. Does not matter what disease they have? I still love them. How many want that? So he wrote this song. It's <laughs> kind of gets to me even now, as you can tell. <laughs> uh, here's the words. You can actually uh, sing the song on your own later. We ran out of time. Maybe I'll sing it on my next thing with you. Here it is. Come ye disconsolate. That means you're unable to be consoled. Wherever you languish, wherever you are, come to the mercy seat. Fervently kneel. Here bring your wounded hearts. Here tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. How many want to have that kind of spirit? (laughs) Only comes from the constraining love of Christ. Joy of the desolate, light of the straying, hope of the penitent, fadeless and pure. Here speaks the Comforter, tenderly saying, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot cure. Here's the bread of life, sea waters flowing forth from the throne of God, pure from above. Come to the feast of love, come ever knowing. Earth has no sorrow, but heaven can remove. The lady opened the door. <laughs> there was a bridge. There was a pathway to health between husband and wife. And it changed their life and millions of others. You know why we do these pathway events? You know why we are involved? Because we're trying to build a pathway of love to people. And we want them to know that there is a pathway of love between heaven and earth. God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Ellen White tells us heaven is all health. How many want to get to heaven? And how many of you want to give a piece of heaven to somebody here and now? That's what we want to do in L.A. How many want to come to L.A. and give a piece of heaven in L.A.? That's what God wants to do in your church. How many of you want to go home and with the recommitment, say, God, I want a piece of heaven for this church and this community. God wants a piece of heaven between husbands and wives and families. How many of you want to see that? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we, we don't have love in and of ourselves. We don't have what it takes. But we praise your holy name that you've promised through the power of the Spirit to give us the fruits of the Spirit. As a gift, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and longsuffering and kindness and meekness and all these things. Lord, we ask for your Spirit. We ask that you would fill our hearts with love. We thank you for your commitment We desire to make a commitment to you. As we see your great love, may we share it with others. In Christ's name, Amen and Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.